0: Our Old Testament reading for today comes from the book of Psalm, uh, chapter 19, verses 7 through 14. It can be found on page 456 in these handy-read few Bibles. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, the righteous altogether. More to be desired than any gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great rejoicing. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the presumptions of sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.
1: And on page 810 in your Bibles, the book of Matthew, chapter 5, let's see if I have the right one here, verses 17 through 20. These are the words of our Lord. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the very word of God.
2: I invite you to keep your finger in the, In that passage. We're going to be um, spending some time in that Passage in Matthew chapter five together today. When you think about um, the righteous of our generation, who comes to mind? When you When you think about who Who is it that really represents the love of Christ and and the the. The epitome of what the gospel looks like most people uh, each of us lord willing has those people that come to mind many times they are family members they are relatives who first revealed the love of god to us but but when you think in our culture many of us come to think of people big names right like um like billy graham right and how about a woman what woman comes to mind Oh uh, yeah, gosh Nothing flat. Those are exactly the ones I thought about as well. Um, uh, Billy Graham and Mother Teresa just seemed to get it. And they seemed to build into their life the kind of lifestyle which would allow them to sustain that intimacy with God over a long period of time. And, and, and so when we come to our passage for today, I, the reason I bring that up is because Jesus spoke about the most righteous in his culture. The ones that everyone thought these are the people that get it. And he, he mentions too. He mentions the scribes, which are the equivalent, uh, and, and, uh, of the lawyers, uh, the people who handled the law were the lawyers. The scribes were the ones who were in charge of protecting the integrity of the law they thought of the scribes and they thought of a particular sect of of judaism uh which really accented and set apart uh trust and belief in the smallest uh minutia of of the law they thought of the pharisees and so so in saying that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. He was saying something like this to us. Unless your righteousness, men, exceeds that of Billy Graham, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Or women, unless your righteousness exceeds that of Mother Teresa. Now, do you get my point? I I don't mean to mess with God's word. Uh, um, And we know, uh, we have kind of a cynical look at the scribes and the Pharisees, but they didn't. They didn't. They thought that that was the epitome of right relationships. And so uh, Jesus gets our attention really dramatically and, and, and changes the, the, uh, the equation for what it means to spend the rest of our life in eternity. Have I got your attention? Um, these words today are critical. They're important for us. You see, one of humanity's greatest struggles is how to get relationships right. Am I making that up? We struggle with our relationship with our spouse, with our children, sometimes with our co-workers. We struggle with the world in which God has placed us, our relationship to creation. We struggle even with our relationship with ourselves. Amen? Amen farther and beyond even that, the relationship we struggle most with is is our relationship with God, and the biblical word that encompasses all of these struggles that encompasses all of these relationships is righteousness and 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 it's so hard because we have such a a negative connotation of that word don't we when you hear the word righteousness you usually think the word self-righteousness right which is the very nature of sin we know the word we just know it from its negative connotation but jesus is using the word in its pure sense in its intended sense let's be clear here just for a second God cares about you. You know that, don't you? Do you? God cares about you. And He cares about your relationship with yourself. That sounds so odd to say it that way, but you know what I mean, don't you? He cares about that. He wants you to see yourself as He sees you. But unlike our culture, the Bible doesn't separate our relationship with ourselves from our relationship with God and with others, right? They're all integrally tied together. So the biblical understanding of true righteousness, of true right relationships with God and with one another and with ourselves is all encompassed in this word righteous. The problem for us is that that's a really high standard. We've explored together what right does God have to place that high standard on us. Do you remember that discussion? He didn't place it on us. We placed it on ourselves when we chose to eat of the apple. We placed it on ourselves when we chose to want to be God. We placed ourselves under that standard. But to be in right relationship, to be in Righteousness is humanly impossible. And the surprise, the surprise of last week as we studied the Beatitudes together was that God understands that, that He recognizes that in our human condition we're unable to maintain these relationships. So the real amazing thing that we heard last week was that God blesses us even in our physical, our emotional, and our spiritual poverty. He blesses us even in our grief and our helplessness. He blesses us in our simplistic purity of heart, and He makes incredible promises. Remember those? About our future and about our present. If you weren't with us last week, and I think there was three of us in the sanctuary last week. If you weren't with us last week, um, that's such an amazing passage. It's bookended by His His affirmation about the presence. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah, right? But He also made amazing promises about our future as well. You will inherit the earth. You will see God. Just amazing balance between what is the present reality, the kingdom is here, and it is ours, and the future promises. And we're so amazed. We're so amazed to to see what it is that God blesses He blesses us in our brokenness. And He simplifies all our confusion by inviting us to focus on one thing, on one thing, on Him. You know this verse. You've memorized it. Matthew 6.33. Help me. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. His right relationships, right? And all these other things, all these other things. And I think that, that Matthew 6 is coming right after our passage. is encompassing the things we talked about last week. This these poverty of spirit, the grief that we experience, the, the, the persecution that we endure. All these other things will be added to him. Right relationship will be added to you. So so the question that we have to ask ourselves, if you're taking notes, this is the big question. How do we seek first the kingdom of God? And, And let me give an oversimplistic answer before we get to our passage. And I think our passage is going to help unpack it. But the oversimplistic answer is this. We seek first the kingdom of God by seeking first the king. I went to UCLA. I figured that out all by myself. Right? By seeking first the king. Jesus who has forever existed in perfect righteousness, in perfect relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Don't get me started about Trinity. Don't get me started about this community that He lived in and calls us to. Jesus left that and became one of us. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, to be tempted in every way, We are to go back into the garden to face the same temptations that Adam and Eve faced, yet without sin. He lived the righteousness that we have not lived. And he invites us into that relationship, excuse me, into that righteousness by faith in him. So as Habakkuk prophesied, as Paul spent so much energy, Romans three four five six 5, 6, as Paul sent so much energy expressing those who desire that right relationship with our world, with ourselves, with one another, and with God can attain it by faith in Jesus Christ who loved us and gave Himself for us, right? Galatians 2.20, Wow. Pray with me, would you? Oh, Jesus, I believe You lived in perfect relationship with God and with others. Jesus, I believe that You intentionally took upon Yourself not only my sins, not only our sins, God, but the sins of the world so that all those who by faith would trust in Your righteousness might gain. That righteousness. God, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead to validate who he is and what he's done. But Father, I believe also that you want to live Christ's life through me. I believe, God, from your word last week, that the life that you bless is the life that is more like Jesus. So, God, open our hearts today, would you? Open our wills. Open our minds to your word this morning. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you this morning. We pray it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen? Wow. So, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Um, when I was a little boy, when the pastor prayed like that, I meant the service was over. Sorry. <laughs> double clutched on you. Double clutched on you. Where are we? The secret of attaining right relationships with God, with one another, with creation, with ourselves, is to seek first His kingdom by seeking first the King. And I know that I it seems like I'm kicking this can further down the road each time I talk here, but but... How then do we seek Jesus, right? If if the secret is seeking first the king, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, let me ask you, if you wanted to know more about George Washington, what would you do? How would you go about it? A couple of years ago, I think it was just two years ago, I'm losing track of time, um, we had the privilege of going to Washington, and we did um, went to the mall. There's no food there, yeah. We looked all over for it. Um, we went, we went to Mount Vernon and uh, and took that. It's amazing what they've done with Mount Vernon, and it just really intrigued me about George Washington. It just really piqued my interest, and and so I was in this massive bookstore, this massive marketing area in Mount Vernon now, and and I was asking the docent there, you know, um, what books would you recommend? And he recommended to me three, uh, and I. They were expensive books. I picked up a couple of them there and found another one on Amazon. And the rest of that summer, I read these biographies of George Washington. It was just fascinating. And each one was slightly different because the person was coming at George from a different place. George, like me and George, (laughs) like that. They were coming at Mr. Washington from a different perspective. Right. Right. but, but each one brought new information. One really focused on the politics. One really focused on his relationships. Um, if I wanted to, if I wanted to emulate him, I could find out something about him by reading those books. So let me ask you, if you want to know Jesus, what do you do? If you want to know God the Father, what do you read, right? Right? Uh, I mean, this sounds so pedantic, I apologize, but I want to suggest to you that God has given you three, three blessings, three blessings to help you understand Jesus. And I want, to, I want you to understand them, but to do that, I've got to tell you about another one of my favorite movies because I always get my best theology from movies, right? And it's National Treasure. And I'm just a sick man. I don't know what, but I can watch that thing over and over again. And it's like, is it going to be different this time? You know, uh, uh, nothing changes every time. Um, but there's a scene in National Treasure where, where at the end of I think it's the first movie where they get to the um, I forget what they call it, the treasure room after just countless uh, diversions and things like that. They finally get to the treasure room, and the gal that's that's with Nicolas Cage in that movie, uh, everyone else is looking at the gold, but she's not looking at the gold. Do you remember this part of the movie? that right in front of them there is a shelf, and on that shelf are these dusty rolls of paper, these scrolls. Do you remember that part of the movie? What does she say? She says, oh, the scrolls of Alexandria, right? And she's kind of making a reference that many of us might not understand, and that was that there was this massive library in antiquity in Alexandria, Egypt, not Virginia, Alexandria, Egypt, and and. and And they were the sum total of all of the accumulated knowledge of that time. It was one of those rare places where most of the knowledge of that time, and, and don't misunderstand anybody who's been to an archaeological site, is astounded by the knowledge that people had long before you thought they had it. Remember, I shared with you the aha moment of discovering manhole covers out of stone in, in Israel, in and a, and a sophisticated sewer system, very sophisticated sewer system, to, uh, to take waste away from the city, I, I just, it just never occurred to me, we think that we have all knowledge. Well, the reality was that there was a lot of knowledge that we lost, and to this day, we cannot figure out some of it. And so I understand her intrigue with the scrolls of the library. It's a movie, obviously. They weren't the real scrolls. But her intrigue with the scrolls of Alexandria because they represented this amazing library of information that now the world can have access to. Let me ask you this. What if you could access the library of Jesus? Ooh, wouldn't that be cool? Are, are you a sick mind like mine that when you go into somebody's house... They go to get you some iced tea or something, you kind of sidle over to the bookshelves and you kind of see what they're... It's like peeking in, in their medicine cabinet or something like that, right? You, you're kind of saying, "What, what is it that they love? What is it that drives their thinking? Not necessarily what they agree with, but what is it that's stimulating them and making them think differently? What if you could do that? What if you could access the scrolls of jesus the library which he spent the first 30 years of his life uh, immersing himself in what if he had access to that well you're on top of me already aren't you you got this already what am i going to say you have it it is right in front of you in the pew you have it we call it something else unfortunately it's a bad name for it actually We call it the Old Testament, like somehow that doesn't matter anymore. It's insignificant. It's not worth looking at. The New Testament would be good. You have the very library of Jesus, 39 books that He spent 30 years immersing Himself in and memorizing. God's gift to you is the library of Jesus. But it's not His only gift. God also gives you the biographies of Jesus. If you go to the Jesus bookstore... And ask the docent, what biographies can I read to help me know this man? What are they going to tell you? They're going to tell you, oh, there's one by a guy, I can't remember his full name. It's something like Matthew. There's another one by a guy named Mark. And there's another one. You've got those. They're in your hand. They're in front of you. They're on your, your coffee table at home. You have those. And were that not enough, he gifts you with books about the history of the early church. He, he gives you the very letters. Another one of that movies is the, the Silence Do-Good letters. Remember that from the, from the sequel? He gives you the very letters of people who knew him, people that in, encountered him, of people that were a part of the early days of the church. That's all right before you. Sixty-six books. I... I have thousands of books in my library. It takes one's in Kristen's office, one's in my office, and one's back here behind the sanctuary. None of them are more important than the library that you have in your hand right now. You have the very Word of God in your hand. That's why our passage today is so important. The religious people of, of Jesus' day understood the prioritization of the Word of God. They summarized the totality of the Word of God in the phrase, the law and the prophets. By that, they meant the two halves of the Old Testament. They meant the law, including the history and all those other things, but also the prophets and the wisdom literature. And, and they called that the law and the prophets. We call it the Old Testament. And, and when they were really writing shorthand, they just called it the law. But they understood what it is. Now, I say that, and um, I was a deputy sheriff, but I, I still can't say the word law without a little shiver going down my spine, right? You know what I'm talking about. It's when those blue lights come on behind you and, and you're going, mm, a little shiver goes down your spine. <laughs> Someone was telling me they got busted on Christmas Day. And uh, I just, I just, um, I, I know that feeling. And law has that kind of thing. I don't like the word. It doesn't have that kind of connotations. Did you hear Did you hear the psalmist speaking about the law as Chris read it for us? The law of the Lord is perfect. He rhapsodizes. And if Psalm 19 weren't enough rhapsodizing about the the law of God and this almost scary love relationship with the law, Psalm 119 spends days doing it, days doing it. You know Psalm 119, my word, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against You. Right, the the the, the word is my light and unto my path. It's a lamp for me. Um, it's just astounding, the rhapsodizing that happens about the Word of God. The, the, in Jesus' day, there were people that understood that. They got that. They were particularly devoted to this role. And we, we talked about them already. The lawyers, the scribes, the Pharisees. Here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. The people that loved God's Word the most thought that Jesus was trying to destroy it. Isn't that crazy? They thought that Jesus was trying to destroy it. That's a little ironic, right? Well, let me see if I can put it together. The Word of God is trying to destroy the Word of God. That doesn't work, right? The living Word of God, they thought, was trying to destroy the written Word of God. And so they accused Him of that. And that's where our passage comes in. Jesus says, do not think that I've come to destroy the law. And that's a good word for us New Testament Christians, isn't it? Don't think that Jesus has come to diminish in any way the law. He spent 30 years investing his life in understanding that. He says, and it translates differently in different Bibles, but not not the smallest iota and and that's the word for serif we've got a printer in the midst it's that little little curly q on the top of a of a letter that not the smallest serif shall pass away from the law until all of it is is fulfilled so jesus is saying some stuff that's really worthy of our attention First, as we saw earlier, he's saying unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the most religious people of his culture, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But then also, lest we despair, Jesus also describes three possible responses to the word of God. Three possible responses to the law. First of all, like he was accused, we can seek to destroy it. The Pharisees thought he was doing that. Why? Because he spoke differently. He spoke with authority that did not come from any recognized leader of his day. Even to this day, if you ask uh, a rabbi uh, uh, about a, a passage, he will quote another rabbi. And most rabbis quote one of two from the first century. He will quote another rabbi. Well, so-and-so says this. Jesus didn't do that. And it was, it was strange for them. He didn't quote somebody else. In fact, he rarely even quoted the Old Testament. Instead, he would say things like this. But I say to you, next week we're going to get into this big time. But I say to you. To you, His authority was different. His activity was different. And, and that confused them as well. He seemed to defy the law, or at least the, the hedges that they built around the law to try and protect the law. We've gone into that in depth. They put all kinds of laws around the laws so that there's no possibility of, of uh, your breaking the law. And he broke those hedges all the time. By his activity, he seemed to break the law. By his associations, he seemed to be contrary to the law. He hung out with the dregs of society. He hung out with people that broke the law. Right? We're not going to go into it, but he, he spoke to them about that. He says, I don't hang out with people that are well, I hang out with people that need a doctor. Right? But they didn't understand that it seemed like like Jesus was destroying the law. And that's one thing that you can do. You can crush it. You can minimize it. You can make it seem insignificant and say, I'm a modern Christian. I'm a modern person. I don't need 3,000-year-old documents to tell me how to live. You can do that, and you can destroy the law just like they thought Jesus was. And the irony, of course, is, again, that it wasn't Jesus that was destroying the law. It was them. It was the lawyers and the Pharisees in the religion that they created around the law. They, they created distance between people and the living word of God. They created an artificial and external righteousness that was only a masquerade and Jesus called them out on it. It did not bring life. It didn't reproduce itself in others in a living way. It made them proud and not humble. It led to bondage, not freedom. What do you do with the Word of God? You can crush it under your feet if you'd like. But there's another thing that you can do. You can, like Jesus, seek to fulfill it. To fulfill it. To fill it to its fullest. The purpose of the law, we know from the Apostle Paul, was to bring us to Christ. The purpose of the law was to show us, contrary to what Adam and Eve thought, that we can never by our own strength attain the glory of God. The purpose of the law was to point out our need for a Savior. You ever had anything that just kind of irritated the snot out of you? Something something that just was nagging, little thing, and you just wanted to crush it, right? Picture for a second. I I remember, I think it was Eileen, I think it was your yard. We were were raking um, uh, acorns, I think, walnuts or acorns or something, and, and one of them got into my shoe and, and I, I didn't want to stop and untie my shoe and take it off. And so I kept raking and all the while there's this nagging, irritating something or other. I just want to take that thing out and pound it, right? Um, you can do that with a, an acorn or a walnut seed, right? Or you can plant it, right? And what happens if you plant it? A miracle happens if you plant it. I cannot explain it. But out of that little mass, tasty as it were, but this little mass comes this magnificent tree over by Hamilton Point where I visit on a weekly basis. There's this massive oak tree. It is magnificent. Fortunately, when they put a doctor's office in there, they didn't take it down. And it fills like a quarter of an acre. It is just gorgeous. It is magnificent. The purpose of that acorn was not to be an irritation to me. The purpose of that acorn was to become a tree under which I can find shade, under which birds can find nests. The purpose of that was to become the mighty oak, right? You can destroy the law or you can let the law be fulfilled in you. And it will change everything about you. It will change everything. So how do we fulfill the Word of God? By planting it in our hearts. Yielding to the Holy Spirit as it begins to take root, as it begins to grow in our lives. Paul wrote in Romans 8.1, there is, you know this, there is therefore, help me now, no condemnation, for those who are in Christ Jesus, but He continued after that. That verse has set me free, and this verse has set many of us free. But He continued after that. Do you know what He continues. For the law of the Spirit of life, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For what God has done, uh, what God has done with the law weakened by the flesh could not do. He sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be, guess what, fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, not according to the law, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For, this, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Wow, you can, you can let the Holy Spirit take that kernel of truth in God's Word and cause it to grow in your life. Wow. We can let the law be fulfilled in us. And we can see and do and teach the law. Wow. Jesus says the solution is not to minimize the Word of God, but to maximize it by, guess what, by doing it, and it's a little bit of a mixture, but He separated it, so I'm going to separate it, not only doing it, living it out, but also teaching others to do it and to live it out. The irony being that as you do it, you're teaching more than, uh, than your words would say, right? He said those who do it and teach it will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is serious stuff. Love. It's not just for Sunday school teachers. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for parents or for grandparents. It's for all those who have some sort of influence over someone else. Jesus is saying you have incredible impact on other people's lives. Do you realize that? Do you realize the consequences if you don't, let me read it for you again because it was so stark as she read it for us earlier. But hear the word of God again from Matthew chapter 5. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I love that. He's not saying you will not be in the kingdom of heaven uh, because your, your entrance into the kingdom of heaven is dependent on what and what alone yeah yeah is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is a gift right it's what jesus has done but jesus who saved you is saying there's something else that's really important here whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven so how do we put this into practice real quickly let me just hit a couple bullet points our way of living with the word of God teaches others. Did you catch that? I know I've said a lot of words and you're on autopilot right now. Our way of living with the word of God teaches others, either by example or by anti-example, right? It's, we're teaching whether we want to or not. We're influencing whether we want to or not. We're teaching them how to live with Scripture. So if you live with Scripture in loose and noncommittal ways, you teach other people to live that way as well. And the consequence of what you have done with Jesus and His Word, with the living Word and the written Word here on earth, the consequences is, will, is what will be done to you in eternity. Wow! Minimalization. Secondly, Jesus warns us solemnly that if we be little scripture, we ourselves will, forgive the pun, be little in the kingdom, right? If we be little scripture on earth, we will be little in the kingdom. As we treat the word of God, so God treats us. That's why sometimes we stand when we read the scripture. That's why we say this is the very word of God. We do not want to confuse this word with the word of man. And lastly, live to hear and to do, and so to teach the Word of God. Live to hear. Listen, listen, Kairos brothers. To do. Love, love, Kairos brothers. And to teach. And I'm adding my own. Lead, lead. Others. The Word of God. You know, when Everything else is gone. When earth is gone, there's one thing, two things that will remain. People's souls, they're eternal. One way or another, they are eternal. Amen? People's souls and the Word of God. Doesn't it make sense that we ought to put those two things together? One of the deepest drives in a human being is to be great i think i just accepted this less than six months ago really when we were at christmas talking about the glory of god it dawned on me for the first time i want glory hello you knew that a long time ago right i want glory whether it's on the racquetball court whether it's somewhere else there's this hunger and i'm going to assume now that 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 drive for glory that drive for greatness that makes me root for a losing ucla basketball team sorry a little personal That drive is a powerful drive that's God-given. The problem is that we just try to satisfy it in the wrong ways. We try and satisfy it vicariously through sports teams or through other ways, right? Other worldly ways. But God gave us that drive. Why? So that we would desire true greatness that can only come from Him. Jesus is saying, do you want to be great? Do you want to be great? Make your life goal." translation of Scripture into life. I love and respect the Wycliffe translators. People go into foreign cultures and, and for the very first time translate that word into ways that people can understand. But that's God's call to all of us. Amen? That's God's call to you to translate Scripture, not literally in a book, but to let your life make Scripture come alive for others. And you do this, beloved. You do this and you will be called Great. In the kingdom of heaven. I can't wait. And I have to tell you, I don't know if you're listening, Greg or Step, uh, Mom, Dad, the people that poured Scripture into my life, I am so grateful. John Jenkins, a freshman, when I was a freshman in college, he said, Dave, you've got to spend as much time in the Word of God as you do in your major subject, college students as you do in your major subject. And he was right. I never spent time in my major subject. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in ping pong. No, I, meant, I meant, what I meant by that was I never, I, when I graduated from college, I never picked up a geology book again. But I spent the rest of my life trying to understand his word. God help us. You've given us this precious library, these biographies of the one who is the object of our affections. You've given us the library of Jesus. You've given us biographies of him. You've given us intimate letters from those who loved Jesus. And God, you're still writing those letters on the tablets of human hearts. You're still teaching other people through our response to this word. Don't let us believe the lies of the evil one that somehow by our brokenness we have been disqualified because it was never about our brokenness. God, we we confess we are broken people. There's no way in the world you should entrust so precious a treasure to us. No, it's about your righteousness. It's about our trust in you, Jesus. But I thank you for the lives that are going to be blessed because of the men and the women, the children in this room. I thank you for the generations that will be forever changed because we took your word seriously. And I thank you that Your word leads us to life. Your word leads us to Jesus. We love you. And pray, God, that you would both help us to appropriate this grace of Jesus by faith, but Lord, help us also to seek this righteousness, to seek this gift of right relationships with you with one another, with your world, your creation, to seek this gift even within ourselves. And God, will give you the praise and the glory. In Christ's name, amen.